suddenly saw, um, uh, let me start over. It, the beginning of the dream, he was bottle feeding children. And, I, and this voice said, no more formula Christianity. And the bottle exploded. And the scene changed, and the, and the man was breastfeeding children. And then in the dream, the Lord said, I never, it was never in my plan for my children to be fed with something that wasn't already assimilated through the body. And then the dream changed, and I saw Bill, when we, Bill and I were young, Bill used to say, I never studied to teach, I only studied to learn. And he had a card on his desk that used to say, whatever feeds me, feeds them. And Bill used to say, I never, I never studied to teach, and I never understood what he meant. But what he was saying is, is that I just I study to get close to God, and when I teach, I just break off a piece of my life and give it to them. And how many of you know the Lord, the church has been full of formula Christianity? We, we, we give children something that we've never eaten ourselves. It hasn't been assimilated through our lives. It's just been assimilated through our mind. But how many of you know to release an encounter, you have to have an encounter? That's a good word. Who would like to have this, anyway? Ooh, good. Stop. <laughs> um, this other thing is uh, called Mission Apostle. And it's a message that the Lord uh, started in my life about eight years ago. I was laying on the floor in our little apartment when we first came to Bethel Church. And the Lord said, we're, mo- the Lord said, we're moving from denominationalism to apostleships. Ask me what that means. Ask me what that means. I said, what does that mean? And the Lord said, in denominationalism, people divide around what they believe. Denomination means divided nations. How many of you know we're not called to divide nations, but we're called to disciple nations? How many of you know that we're called Protestants? You know where the word Protestant comes from? Protester. Guess why when we don't agree, we split? I don't know if you got that. How many times has the Catholic Church split in a thousand years? Zero. How many times has the Protestant Church split in a thousand years? Hasn't been a thousand years old. See? How many times has the Protestant Church split in 200 years? Hundreds of times. Why? We were born in a protest. When we don't agree, we leave. I don't know if you got that. but The Lord said, I, we're moving from denominationalism to apostleships. And he said, in denominationalism, people divide around what they, what they believe. But in apostleships, people rally around fathers. And the Lord said, I'm about to pour out new revelation, and if I pour out new revelation in a denominational wineskin, I, by the very reason why we gather, I destroy the wineskin. Because how many of you know that if you get new revelation, at least for one day, we don't agree? And in denominationalism, people gather because they agree. I don't know if you got this. They gather because they agree. So if God pours out new revelation on a wineskin that we gather because we agree, how many of you know that, that the core value of the wineskin wine is that when we, when we get new revelation, we don't agree? Are you with me? Give it to you in a minute. And the Lord told me that 
denominationalism is like concubines. Do you remember the concubines of old? You know, several, many kings had concubines and they had, they had many concubines and they had many wives. You know the difference between a wife and a concubine? A wife, the, the wife carried an inheritance and her, uh, the, the wife's children carried the king's name and her children had an inheritance. But a concubine, the, the concubine's children did not carry the king's name and they had no inheritance. How many know that's denominationalism? <laughs> in denominationalism, people are born in a one-night stand. And the emphasis is on getting people to pray a prayer or raise their hand or come forward. Jesus never said make Christians. He said make disciples. But in denominationalism, there are no fathers. People aren't born into a covenant family. They're born into an organization. And we brag about, well, we had 10 people saved this week. But where are they the next week? And if you've ever been to an evangelistic training session, it's more like an Amway conference where we teach people how to manipulate other people into praying a prayer. You know, I have, three, I have four children. Three of my children are married and seven grandchildren. I didn't have to teach my children how to have children. It came naturally. But I had to learn how to have birth control. I'm saying that children are the natural manifestation of a loving husband and a loving wife if everything's working right. If we're in right relationship with God, children come naturally. Have you ever had somebody pray a prayer and not change? Have you ever prayed? Have you ever talked to someone about the Lord who you met on a plane or out in the world someplace, and they said, and you say, you need Jesus, and they say, I already did that. And what they mean is they raised their hand, they stood up, or they came forward. But they didn't get born again, because we've reduced born again down to a prayer. That's a good word right there. And I, I believe that the Lord is restoring the apostolic office, not just so that we can say we have government, but so we, we, that fathers return to the house and we begin to have a covenant community it's amazing that Judas you know Jesus says one of you will betray me and one of the most troubling scriptures in the Bible is when Peter turns to him and says is it me you, you have three and a half years walking with Jesus sleeping beside Jesus doing miracles with Jesus and Jesus turns to 12 guys who have all been camping out together for, 12, for three and a half years, doing signs and wonders and miracles. And Jesus says, one of you will betray me tonight. And the most scariest, one of the scariest verses in the Bible is, is that the fact that the disciples cannot figure out who it is. Now, we're not talking about coming to church together on Sunday morning. We're talking about guys living together for three and a half years in a covenant community with Jesus. I mean, these guys have been through hell, together they've been in storms they've been through everything together and jesus says one of you will betray me and did you notice that john is sitting next to jesus and peter says to john ask him if it's me and peter doesn't john doesn't ask him is it peter he says is it me they can't figure out who the betrayer is until jesus said let's make a covenant and as soon as jesus said let's make a covenant Judas said, it's time for me to get out of here. 
Why? How did, Jesus, how did Judas betray Jesus? With a kiss. How many know that Judas wants intimacy without covenant? And that's false apostles. They want intimacy without covenant. How many know that the Judas spirit is alive? The false apostle spirit is alive and well all over America. That people want intimacy without covenant. And that part of the apostolic community is covenant at its core. You know um, that God wanted children to come out of covenant. No one's been able to figure out, scientists have not been able to figure out why a woman has a hymen. I mean, it's the only part of a, a, bo- of a woman's body that when it breaks, it doesn't repair. And then one day I realized this, that God wants children to come out of covenant, so he provided the blood, so when the marriage is consummated, the covenant's made before the children are conceived. And how many of you know that God wants a covenant community? He doesn't want you to come to church. He wants you to become the church. <laughs> people select church. How many know that most people choose the church by the flesh they'll tolerate? So when they don't get their way, they go someplace else. But how many know that's not God? I know, I'm being too serious for you guys today. God never intended us to come to church. He intended us to become the church. He intended, us for, he intended for us to find our fathers and to make a lifetime covenant. About four years ago, um, the Lord really convicted me. I've been with Bill. At that time, I had been with Bill 26 years. And the Lord said to me, you're always preaching about covenant, but you've never made one with Bill. And I said, yes, I haven't been with him 26 years. The Lord said, you're using him as a stepping stone. And the Lord said, I want you to commit the rest of your life to serving him. It took me about a month. But, but, about a, but after about a month, we were riding in the car together one day, and I said to him, the Lord told me that I was to make a lifetime covenant with you and serve you the rest of my life. It really narrowed the options. I'm with Bill the rest of my life. You know what it did? As soon as I made that covenant, it made me realize that anything that's wrong in our relationship needs to get fixed because this is a lifetime experience. And it's made... I don't have any other options. I don't have... If there's something wrong in the church, it's my problem. I'm going to be here forever. Anyway. Who'd like... Oh, Let's just pray. Would you stand and pray with me? I feel, I was just telling Danny, I feel a little, little out of it this afternoon and restricted. Um, so let's just pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come on. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would just come right now. That you would release your anointing, that you would release a spirit of revelation in the room, that you would move in power, that you would transform us, Lord, that we wouldn't hear another message. But Lord, that we would be inspired to change and to receive the kingdom in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
Okay. Go ahead and sit and let's see how this goes. You know, the, i got to tell you, the struggle, and I know Danny probably feels this too, the first time you come to a place, I feel like, you like it, first of all, it feels like this is my long-lost family. I, I, met, I met Steve about maybe two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, and when we met, it's like, you know, I meet a lot of people, we meet a lot of people, and, and, uh, and uh, I, I just felt like there was a connection between us immediately. And so, you know, when, coming here was like really exciting, you know, we're... we're we're on our way here, and there's an excitement in my spirit. And there's an excitement for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is I feel like I'm, I'm going to meet family that I've, that I've never met. You know, my father drowned when I was three years old. I told you that in a message last night. And my stepfather obviously was a nut. Actually, he's, he found the Lord. Both my stepfathers are walking with the Lord now. I'm amazing. But, um, but one of the things my stepfather did when he was crazy is that he burned all my father's stuff and forbid us to have any relationship with my, anyone on my father's side. So I never met my cousins, who I have about 50 of them. My father was one of eight children. So I never had, I never had any relationship with any of my cousins, so I'm still now just meeting them. And there's an excitement because here we are, we have, it's so funny to meet a cousin who you've never seen before and you have some of the same traits. Like, did you get that? I'm sitting with my cousin for the first time. I probably played with him when I was little. Haven't seen him since. And we're sitting at the table. He said, did you get that? I'm like, this is weird. (laughs) That's a good point. Anyway, I feel like that with you guys. It's like, so when, when we, you know, when it comes time to sharing with you, it's not like, I wonder, I don't, like, I don't have anything to share. It's like, it's like, these are all the things we've been learning for the 40 years we haven't been together, and I'd like to share them all with you. Do, you know what I mean? It's like, there's a lot of catching up to do. And so, you know, it's, it's like, okay, so what is, what's important to share in these moments? Like, what, what is really changing us the most? And, you know, some of the questions that we had today, I love questions and answers. Like, it would be awesome if every, every conference, if you could open with questions and answers. And the reason is, is because it's kind of like this. If you called Bethel and said, how do I get to Bethel Church? The first thing that the, uh, the, the receptionist would have to ask is what? Where are you coming from? And the deal is, I, feel, I believe that ministry is building a bridge between where you are and where God wants you. But the struggle is, when you come to a place for the first time, you don't know where people are. So sometimes you're sharing stuff that's way over here, and people don't have the infrastructure for that. And they're like, you know, they give you the blank look. And you don't know if that's the Texas... Is that the Texas Longhorn look? Is that the I don't agree with you, Big Brother look? Or is, or is that the well, that's a deep revelation look, right? And and uh, and so questions, question and answers are great because if you share a little bit and then you open it up for questions and answers, people tell you where they're at. They either go, Yeah, we got that. We've been doing that for years, or they go, Oh, well, can you say that again? And then they ask questions, like we were just in a leaders meeting where they go, how did you get that? Like, how did you come to that revelation? Or how do you make that happen in our culture? And that goes, and that tells me, oh, we need to start way back here and start talking about how we got, we got, how we got here. And so, you know, um, I'm still a little bit in that process. First time I've ever been here. I know your pastor fairly well. And he's been uh, out to our place many times. 
And so um, I'm just trying to like get a feel. Like I don't, I don't know how how relevant what we're doing is to you because I just I'm not sure exactly where you're at. So we're 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 doing we're we're doing the best we can, huh, Danny? I thought Danny's word this morning was amazing. I want to talk to you about uh, something that's very current. Like this is something I've, I've just been getting in the last few months. Um, uh, it's a I want to talk to you about transitions in the kingdom. And um, I shared uh, for a few minutes with the leaders that I believe that we're in the greatest transition in, in the kingdom in human history with the exception of the cross. Now, you, you know what happened in the cross, at the cross. At the cross, at the cross. Right? The cross divided history. Before Jesus died on the cross, the whole world was under the law. And the law said, I know this is really simple, just flow with me from that. The law said, if you want to get to heaven, keep all these rules. And we had a performance-based way to get to heaven. Now we know no one came to, got to heaven that way, because Isaiah, Isaiah says, there's none righteous, no, not none. So we know that the law didn't produce any believers in the sense that they got to heaven from the law. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled the, the, um, he fulfilled the, the penalty for sin, and God began to deal with the world through grace so that we got to heaven, not from our works, but from his. Right? And God began to view the world differently. I don't know if, if all of us would agree with this, but people who don't think that the attitude of heaven has changed towards earth after the cross scare me. Because before the cross, you know, Jesus said this. He said, you, um, you heard it said, love your enemies. No, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I say to you, Love your enemies, do the good to those who persecute you, and so on and so forth. How, who did they hear, love your neighbor but hate your enemies? They heard it from God. All through the Old Testament, God said, destroy your enemies, don't let anybody live. And remember, King Saul got, actually got removed from kingship because he showed mercy to a king who God said, kill. God told him to go into the promised land and kill everybody, don't let anybody live. So Jesus is living in, the, in a transitional epoch. He's living in the Old Testament. Do you understand that the Gospels are the Old Testament except for the last couple of chapters? Because the New Testament doesn't begin until the, the blood is shed. So Jesus is living in an Old Covenant and he's, he's ushering in a New Covenant. Are you with me? He's living under the law and he's telling us about the covenant that's to come. He's living in a transitional epoch season. That's why when Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, that's why Jesus cast demons into the swine and they drowned themselves because they weren't supposed to have swine. Right? They were living under an old covenant where they couldn't eat pork. Okay, you know, you get the idea. The point is this, is that I believe that we're in the second greatest transition in human history. Now, you're like, okay, well, what's that have to do with us? Well, that's what this is about. Am I on? Okay. Ecclesiastes says, To everything there's a season, and there's a time and purpose for everything under heaven. Jesus said, and I said this in the leaders' meeting, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man can't live by, every, uh, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we talked about in the leaders' meeting today how it isn't the preceding, but the proceeding word of God that's life to our souls. It isn't what God said, but what God's currently saying. How many know manna lasted just one day, except for Fridays, 
And if you ate, if you tried to eat manna on the second day, it had worms. And Jesus said, I am the manna that came from heaven. How many of you know that it's being current with God? It's the current word of God that actually brings life to, to you. Oftentimes when we get out of relationship with God, the Bible becomes the fourth member of the Trinity. Hebrews chapter 6, why don't you turn there? I want to just see if we can use this to... Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ... Let us press on the maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. Well, listen to this. Therefore, leaving. Everybody say, leaving. Leaving Leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on the maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance towards dead works, faith towards God, instructions about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment. What's the point here? The Hebrew writer, and it may be the reason why he didn't put his name on the book, said, leaving the elementary teachings of Christ. How many of you know he's not talking to the individual believer? He's not saying, hey, you know what? You're a new believer. You don't have to worry about the resurrection. Don't worry about baptisms. And um, don't worry about laying on of hands. He's not talking. Do you understand that he's not talking to the individual? Are you guys awake? Am I connecting with you at all? This Hebrew writer is not talking to the individual Christian. He's not saying these six foundations, they're not important anymore. He's He's writing to the corporate church. And he's saying to the corporate church, listen, instead of just repeating what you've heard over and over and over, why don't you do something with what you've learned and build something on top of the foundation? How many know that the church of Jesus Christ is the only organization in the world that's trying to get back to something? Can you imagine if the technologists were saying, man, we just need to get back to Edison. That that light bulb thing is just amazing. We just need to go back to that light bulb. How many of you know that the church is is the only organization in the world that's trying to return to something? Well, if we could just get back to the book of Acts. How many know the book of Acts was a great beginning, but it was never meant to be the end? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 says, There shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. How many of you know that God created us to progress? He said, Greater work shall you do when I go to be with the Father. The whole kingdom is a progressive kingdom. We are supposed to be walking in progressive revelation, from glory to glory and from faith to faith. How many of you know that if we went back to, to the early church, if we were to move back to the early church, that we better move back to a lesser glory? Because we, because we are commanded to move, to grow from glory to glory. That we are destined to grow in revelation. I was in a church in Montana that, that typified, you know, the uh, proverb says, a right word in a right season is like apples of gold instead of silver. I was in Montana, and over the urinal, it said, it had this beautiful picture of a waterfall, and it said, when you pass through the water, I'll be with you. <coughs> and there was two young men in the, in the bathroom with me, and I said, have you read, they both went to that church and said, have you ever read that? And then one looked at the other and he goes, that is wrong. I said, it's ought to say, I'm a bridge over troubled water. 
How many of you don't put over the urinal? When you pass through the water, I'll be with you. I, I don't know if you're getting this. It's the right word in the right season. It, there, there's something about seasonal words. It's the proceeding word of God. It's the current. What is God saying? Not what did God say, but what is He saying? What God said tells us about the character of God. But what God's saying is tells us about the borders, how the borders are being extended from the character of God. In Chronicles, First Chronicles, famous verse, it says the sons of Issachar, they had two things, two qualities about them. They understood the times. That's important. But listen to this. And they understood what Israel should do in the times. That's two different things. One is prophetic insight. They understood the times. And the other is the gift of wisdom. How many know that prophetic insight and the gift of wisdom should flow together? They understood the times. Where are we in history? Have you ever walked into a large mall? And you're looking for a store. Let's say you're looking for J.C. Penney's. And you go up to the map and you see J.C. Penney's. And you start walking towards J.C. Penney's. But you realize that you forgot one little part. What is it? You are here. The first thing you have to do when you find the map is you've got to find that little X that says you are here. Because how many of you know, until you know where you are, you can't figure out where the heck you're supposed to be going. Like, what are, what are the times that we live in? Isaiah 42, verse 9 says this, The former things have come to pass. You've got to get this. This is a prophetic word to us. Not just to Texas, but to the body of Christ right now. The former things have come to pass. Behold, I proclaim new things to you. The next verse says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Do you understand that the prophet is not talking about singing a song? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if... Teachers, the way teachers interpret prophetic books troubles me because they've obviously never hung around prophetic people like the way teachers interpret the book of revelation is stunning to me because prophets speak in metaphors in parables in riddles in symbols and if you've never been around prophetic people and you try to take a symbol and use it for what a what it would mean in the natural it doesn't work like that the prophet says, the former things have come to pass. Behold, I proclaim new things. Sing to the Lord a new song. The prophet is not talking about singing a song. Any more than in Isaiah 2, he says, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be raised among chiefs of the mountains and people will stream to it. And all the, the teachers are trying to figure out when there's a mountain is going to grow in Israel. How many know that the Isaiah chapter 2, the prophet is not talking about mountains? He's talking about authority. And in Isaiah chapter 40, 43, 42, 9, he's not talking about singing. He's talking about a new way of thinking. He says, The former things have come to pass. Behold, I proclaim new things to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. He's talking about, he's talking about changing the way you think because you've come into a new season and the way you did think needs to change so that you'll be congruent with the new season. Are you following me? Let me give you an example. The children of Israel, they crossed, they were in the Red, they crossed the Red Sea. And when they went from the and when they went into the Red when they crossed the Red Sea, they went into the wilderness and they went from the Red Sea to the River Jordan. They crossed the River Jordan. Okay, follow me for a minute. When they, when they went from the wilderness 
and they crossed the river Jordan into the promised land, it says this, in the day that they crossed the river Jordan, the manna ceased. In the day that they crossed the river Jordan, the manna ceased. You know what else happened? The cloud went away, the fire was gone, and their clothes began to wear out, and God goes, welcome to the promised land. In the wilderness, they had supernatural weather system. They had supernatural clothing, and they had supernatural food. And God goes, you're about to come into the promised land. They crossed the river Jordan, and on the day they crossed the river Jordan, the manna ceased. Now think about what happened. Day one, there's no manna. Day two, no manna. Day three, no manna. Day four, no manna. Pretty soon, a husband says to his wife, I think we're on a seven-day fast. Day eight, no manna. Day nine, no manna. We must be on a 14-day fast. Day, day 21, no manna. We must be on a 40-day fast. Day 42, no manna. Now the children are starting to look like orphans in a commercial for Africa. And his wife turns to him and says, you need to get a job. There's only one problem. There's no such... He's never worked. In 40... Remember, these people were born in the wilderness, except for Caleb and Joshua. They've never worked. They've never had a job. All they did was go gather manna for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. Suddenly, it's cold. It's hot. Their clothes are wearing out. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Do you understand that The season changed, and it required a whole new skill set for them. They never have worked in their life. And his wife says, get a job. He's like, what's a job? He's got no skills. He's got no abilities. He's got no ability to work. He's never seen anybody. Nobody that he's ever known has ever worked. And God goes, you're in the promised land. I worked on you. Now I'm going to work through you. I want to propose to you that we just crossed the River Jordan. That we just crossed the River Jordan and that we are entering into a new epic season in God. This is huge. We just crossed the River Jordan and we just entered into a new epic season in God. And I believe it's the second greatest epic season in human history. Now, first of all, we've got to talk about what is an epic. An epic is a, 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 a season of time in which God deals with a particular people in a particular way. And I believe that that season changed about three years ago. And that we were living in the greatest epic season in human history. Now, first of all, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 3 says this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, what does that mean? That means that everything that you see, everything you can feel, touch, taste, smell, was first made and assembled in the invisible realm. These things that you see were first, even this, this pulpit. Somebody assembled this in the invisible before it ever got assembled in the invisible. 
you. I talked to you about this last night. You were made in God's image and his likeness. His image, what God imagined, you became. Are you with me? Everything that you see on the earth was manifest first in the invisible realm. Now, I'm being careful to not say in the third realm or in the Holy Spirit realm. I said in the invisible realm. That everything that you see was first a manifestation of something that was in the invisible realm. Not necessarily in God's realm, but in the invisible realm. And I believe that... How many of you know that God has raised us up and seated us in heavenly places in Christ? And that God wants us to live... I was talking to the leaders about this just a, a few minutes ago, half an hour ago. That the Lord wants us to live from heaven towards earth. God said, in, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore you go and make disciples of all nations. What does that mean? It means that the devil who had authority, because, because God said to, to Adam and Eve in chapter 1 of Genesis, Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. Remember that? And he gave Adam and Eve authority over everything that creeped on the earth, everything that was on the earth. God gave Adam authority. But when Adam obeyed Satan, Adam gave away his authority to the devil. And that's why Jesus, you know, in the book of Luke, the devil comes to Jesus and he said, if you throw yourself off the pinnacle of this temple, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the whole earth, for they have been handed over to me. Who handed them over to him? Adam did. So when Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven, that wouldn't have been a revelation. But on earth, that would have been a revelation. Because the devil held the, the authority on the earth. And Jesus took the, the authority that once belonged to the devil and he handed it to the church. And so now Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I give it to you, therefore you make disciples of the nations. If we don't see what's going on in the third heaven, if we don't rule from the third heaven, if we don't, how many know that we're not just supposed to pray to God, but we're supposed to pray with God? We're not just supposed to pray to heaven, we're supposed to pray from heaven towards earth. God has commissioned us to seat, not just seat, not just be seated in heavenly places, but to be seated in heavenly places with Christ, far above all rule authority and every name that will ever be named, listen to this, in this age and also what? In the age to come. How many of you know that God is still creating? He, he worked six days, rested on the seventh, and that, he doesn't say he works six days and rested forever. It says he rested on the seventh. And how many of you know that on the eighth day God st- started creating again, and that's why you know, they're learning that the universe is still expanding? We don't know if God's creating other people, other races. We don't know if he is. We, if you look at the book of Revelation, you can see God's pets are pretty amazing. <laughs> but there's one thing that we know. Don't matter what God creates, don't matter what kinds of races God creates, if he creates a race for another planet, if he creates another, a race in another dimension, if he creates other beings that that have a different name than the name angels. If don't matter what he creates in the age to come, we know one thing. We'll be sitting at the top. Because it says 
that he put all authority, he gave us all authority, he gave us a name above every name that's ever be named, both in this age and what? The one to come. So it doesn't matter what's going to happen, no matter what God creates, he created you to rule everything that he, he will ever make in eternity. He set you at the top. Are you with me? And God, if we don't, if we don't minister from the second heaven, we relegate the, the, I mean from the third heaven, we relegate the second heaven to ruling the first heaven, the visible kingdom. Do you guys know what the first, second, third heaven means? I don't know if you're familiar. Who doesn't? Raise your hand. Be honest. Okay, the first heaven. Uh, in Genesis, it says God created the heavens and the earth. And that's the heaven you can see. In, in Hebrew, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes and he said that there are principalities and powers in heavenly places. How many of you know there's no principalities and powers in God's heaven? God cast the devil out of heaven. So that's the second heaven. Paul said, I was taken to the third heaven, and I saw things that are inexpressible. Okay, so we, when, we, when God says that he's raised us up and seated in heavenly places, he's not talking about the second heaven. He's taken us and he's raised us up into the third heaven, the heaven that God lives in, which is above the second heaven and above the visible empire, which we call the first heaven. You get that? If we don't rule from the second heaven... If we, don't, if we don't step up into the third heaven, I mean rule from the third heaven over the second heaven, if we don't move into the third heaven and see what God is doing. In other words, what I'm, getting to, what I'm trying to say is this. The reason why there are seasons in the, in the visible empire that we live in, in the first heaven, is because there are seasons in the spirit realm. The seasons in the spirit realm, the seasons in the invisible realm, are driving the seasons that are in the visible realm. Are you with me? Just like we have winter, spring, summer, and fall. Just, you know, Romans 1 says God's invisible attributes, His eternal powers, divine nature are clearly seen in what God made. So the reason why there's seasons in, the, in, the, in, in this world is because God has seasons in His realm. Are you with me? I want to propose to you that what we're seeing in, on the earth is actually a manifestation that's happening in the invisible realm. The invisible realm is not... It's not invisible from the sense that it's like, whoo, floating things. It's just invisible from the standpoint that you can't see it with your, your eye wasn't created to see it. Are you with me? But it's very real. In fact, I listened to a Christian scientist several years ago, and he, he said this. He said that all matter has a frequency. Now, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm an echo. He said all matter has a frequency. If you change the frequency three degrees, he said two worlds could exist on the same planet and pass through each other. How many know that's a great explanation of the world we live in? That the invisible world lives right there. Jesus said the kingdom's right there. And right now, for instance, in this room, there are songs. You can't hear them because they are radio waves. But they're real. There are movies in this room. There are visions. If you had a television, I could prove to you that there are visions in this room that are actually happening. You realize that there are visions happening simultaneously and not interrupting each other? It's called what? Channels. Right? So in this room, there are visions. If I had the right equipment, I could prove to you that there are realities that are actually in color and sound in this very room. But in order for you to 
see them, to perceive them, you have to have a television which takes TV waves and turns them into sight and sound. Are you with me? In this room right now, there's another kingdom happening inside this room and outside this room. What I'm getting at is this, is that the, that the second heaven and the third heaven have preeminence over the first heaven. What happens in the second heaven and what happens in the third heaven manifests in the visible world, not the opposite. So what you see happening in the first heaven, what you see happening in the world, practically, what's going on in the world is a manifestation. The reason why there's a war in Iraq is because there is war in the heavens. Are you with me? If we don't look to the third heaven, if we don't step up into the third heaven and begin to manifest what we see in the third heaven to the second and first heaven, we relegate ourselves to the first heaven. Is that simple? If we don't stand up into the third heaven and rule from heaven towards earth, we relegate ourselves to the first heaven and there is somebody sitting on the second heaven who's manifesting his agenda over the earth. Now follow me. If we allow the second heaven, if we stay in the first heaven, we relegate the second heaven, which has authority over the first heaven, to, uh, to propagate its agenda. And then when it's propagating its agenda, and we're on the first heaven, we're down here on earth, and the second heaven is propagating its agenda over the visible realm, in other words, it's manifesting its second heaven idealism over the first heaven, in order for us from the first heaven to just stay relevant to what's happening, follow me for a minute, I'm just pausing on purpose, letting you catch up with the thought. In order for us just to stay relevant to what's happening on earth, we become a reflection and we reflect the culture instead of transform it just so we can stay relevant. Otherwise, we find ourselves like in the 50s where we, the church became totally irrelevant. We go, we don't like that music, we don't like drums, we don't like guitar, we don't like this, we don't like that. And we found ourselves being totally irrelevant to the world because the world was listening to the second heaven and we said, we're not, we're not going to be part of that at all. But we didn't get up into the third heaven and begin to propagate the kingdom. See, we didn't extend the borders of the kingdom from the third heaven. We just said, we're not going to do what the second heaven wants to do. And what we found is the train left us and we became totally irrelevant. In 1963, there was four boys from Liverpool. Who in just three years swept the whole world into their anointing singing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I saw her standing there. But by 1966, they were already in trouble. And they began to sing songs like, Help, I need somebody help. Just anybody help. When I was young, so much younger than today, I never needed anyone's help in any way. But now those days are gone, and I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I changed my mind, and I opened up the door. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. I do appreciate you coming around. But you know what happened? The church had already figured out that they were the devil and they closed the door on the Beatles and three years later they were singing that their sweet Lord was Hare Krishna. We cannot afford to stand in the first heaven and let the world be relegated to demonic spirits. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot miss this most epic season again. 
We have to come to the third heaven and begin to take the lead in this next most epic season of God. We cannot relegate the world to the second heaven and stand back while the world begins to take over all the creativity, all the business world, all the, all the industrial world, all the, all the technology, all the political system. While we stand back and go, that's evil, that's wrong, guitar's wrong, that's wrong, they shouldn't be doing that. And While we stand back, they run ahead, and then ten years later, we're running around trying to act like them. Well, they're, yeah, 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 yeah. And all the middle... All the Christian music sounds like the Beatles because we're trying to now, 10 years later, relate. And now we're 10 years behind. Are you with me? We are supposed to be the head, not the tail. But when we lose sight of what's happening in the third heaven, we find ourselves being a reflection of the culture. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. Don't tell me that homosexuality, ordaining homosexual priests and, and, and ministers isn't a reaction to trying to stay current with the world so we can talk to the world. If you've got nothing new to say, and I want to tell you something. Someone said, there's nothing new under the sun. I want to tell you something. That, that scripture is in the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Ecclesiastes was never written to be true. The book of Ecclesiastes also says that money is the answer to everything. That's not true. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, and it was to show you what happens when the smartest, the wisest man in the world gets outside of relationship with God and uses his wisdom outside of the context of relationship. Everything becomes vanity. Ecclesiastes was never written to be true. It was written to show you what happens when wisdom gets disconnected with its creator. And suddenly, everything becomes vain and vanity. There are new things under the sun because God's created him. He said there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Come on. You are actually the real new ager. I'm not talking about the age of Aquarius. I'm talking about the age of the kingdom. God is creating new things. God is not bored. When Solomon, when Solomon said in his foolishness, there's nothing new under the sun, he was wrong. God is doing a new thing. The prophet prophesied. I hope you're with me. I hope I didn't offend anybody. Read the song. Read the the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll find some things that are true in there and some things that are not. Why? Because wisdom got out of relationship with his creator. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is supposed to teach you. You can be really smart, but if you don't have a relationship with your creator, you think money fixes everything. And it doesn't. You think everything's vanity, and it isn't. You think everyone goes to the same place, and they don't. Did you get that? That's another good word right there. I want to give you an example of looking into the third heaven. Revelations chapter 1. John the Apostle wrote these words, and it connects with Danny's message this morning about apostles and prophets. Listen to this. Therefore, write the things which you've seen. Now, this is Jesus to the Apostle John. Write, therefore, the things you've seen, the things which are, and the things which are to take place after these things. Now, how many of you know, why would John have to write down the things he's seen? Why would that be news? Because he's seen things that are, but they're in another dimension. You got that, right? 
As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, and the mystery, I'm sorry, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels. Everybody say angels. Of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now listen to this. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Everybody say to the angel. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. You can't tolerate evil men. You put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. You found them to be false. You persevered. You've endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But listen to this. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. Then he goes on to exhort them to find their first love, do the deeds they did at first. Now here's the point. This is the point I want to make to you. John has, a, he, John has an encounter with Jesus Christ. John's an apostle. What does he receive? He receives an apostolic mission for seven churches. Why did he receive an apostolic mission for seven churches? Because he was apostle over seven churches. Who did John write the letter? John, who did, who did the, the Lord gave John a revelation. John has a revelation, right? Now, God says to John, or Jesus actually says to John, write these letters and send them, listen to this, not to seven churches. And he makes a distinction between the lampstands and the stars. And he says, he says, write the letters to the angels of the seven churches. He gets a mission. He gets, he, John, John is in submission to the mission. He gets commissioned. What does he do? There's angels assigned to John. Just like if you read the book of Daniel, you'll notice the same three angels show up in Daniel's life over and over and over. Some angels are angels of revelation. And when, John, I mean, when Daniel doesn't know what the word means, God sends him an angel. What is it? It's a spirit of revelation. And what does a spirit of revelation do? Explains to him the dream. And sometimes it's like Mark, Michael the archangel when he needs protection and he comes and he's warring. You with me? So, so uh, apostles have a geographic and demographic place of authority, a realm of authority, and to that realm of authority, when they're true apostles, there's angels assigned to them. Did you get that? John is instructed to write to seven angels. I would assume that he has seven angels who are assigned to him for seven different regions. And he, and he gives them... John gives them an apostolic commissioning. Follow me for a minute. The church at Ephesus, he says, listen, you have all this good stuff, so tell the angel to tell them, encourage them in all these good things they've done. So the angel has a message he's carried. The first part of the message is very encouraging. But then there's the part of the message that needs change. And in this case, in the church of Ephesus, they're supposed to find their first love. Are you getting this? Now, what is the third heaven doing? The third heaven is trying to bring Ephesus back to its first love. Got me? The pastor is a first, he's a first heaven pastor. He get, comes to the pulpit that next Sunday morning after the apostle John has received that revelation and the angel that's in his city is trying to get people to be reconciled and, to God and their first love. And the pastor gets up and he preaches on the grace of God. What do the angels do? They're unemployed. Why? Because they have an apostolic mission. The next week, the pastor gets up and he preaches about Joshua crossing over into the promised land. What do the angels do? 
Nothing. Why? They have an apostolic mission. Sunday number three, the pastor's praying and he gets this idea and he tells the congregation, turn to the Song of Solomon. And he begins to preach about the passionate love of God and returning to your first love. And suddenly, heaven lights up with activity and the angels begin to go out and restore marriages and restore connections with God and love begins to flow. Why? That is the message that's in the third heaven that God's trying to manifest in the visible realm. If we don't see what's going on in the third heaven, well, let me put it positively. When we see what's going on with heaven, in the third heaven, we build strategic alliances with heavenly allies. And we begin to get the help of the angels. And Are you with me? And so we begin to, from the third heaven, we begin to sit in the third heaven with God, and we begin to rule from the third heaven with angelic help. Why? Because we looked into the third heaven, we're living from the third heaven, and we're manifesting what's in the invisible realm in the third heaven into the, into the first heaven, and the second heaven is trying to manifest its stuff, but it can't manifest its stuff because we have authority over the second heaven when we step up and sit where we're supposed to be seated. That's a good word right there. But if we don't sit in the third heaven... We began to sit in the first heaven, and again, just to stay relevant, we, try to, we, we start to reflect the culture, and, re, and religion begins to take us over. And we find ourselves guarding a box that God vacated 2,000 years ago. How many know religion is like kryptonite to Superman? That's another good word right there. It's imperative that we understand that we're going through the greatest transition in human history. What worked a month ago will not work today. The message from the Apostle John, so to speak, has changed. Turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. I want to grab just a piece of this. Do you understand what what Danny was teaching this morning was even more powerful than what he was sharing as far as coming under an apostolic anointing? Do you understand why an apostolic anointing is so powerful? Because the apostolic anointing is the anointing and the, and the office that the, that the angels are assigned to. You come into submission to the apostolic mission, and that's how you get commissioned. How many of you know Romans 10 says, well, how will they hear if there's no preacher? How will they preach if they're not sent? The word sent there is the word apostled. There's a lot of people who went, but they're not sent. They're trying to have authority without being under authority. How many know you can start your own business on any corner, probably in Texas, like you can in California, but you can't start your own police department? How many know that? You could, go, you could go to the academy and you could graduate the top of your class. You can get a black and white car, put a cherry on top, get the uniform, get the same gun. But how many of you know if you run, if you run down the street and pull somebody over, you're unauthorized? 
And for some reason, people think that they can just go and plant a church anywhere they want. They're not under anyone's authority. They're not under anyone's authority. And they think that they can just create their own authority. But even in the natural, we realize you can't start your own police department. You get arrested for that. It's called fraud. It's kind of funny to me. I know I'm digressing a little bit here because I'm talking about authority for just a minute because I felt the Holy Spirit say emphasize this just a minute ago and I was heading somewhere else, as you could see. But I just want to digress just for a minute. It's funny to me, and I'm talking about mindsets, that we will go to work, we will go to work for someone who doesn't know God and do exactly what he tells us for money. Come into the church and not do what spiritual authority tells us for eternity and call it freedom. No one's going to tell us what to do. It's funny that we'll do stuff for money that we won't do for God. It's funny to me that people have all sorts of trust issues with people in the church who go, well, you know, the shepherding movement, I was a part of that. Broke my heart, I died. That was 15 years ago. Get a life. Jeez, how... It, It stuns me how people don't get over things. I've counseled people who were buried alive by their father I'm talking about buried in the ground for days, alive, with just a breathing hole by their father in their backyard. And they're vibrant Christians. But somebody got abused in the Jesus movement. They got abused in the shepherding movement. And 15 years later, they still can't get over it. Man, come on. How fragile are people? Get a life. I'm serious. It's like, what happened to the power of the cross? You think it just got you saved? People live in this fragile state. like, don't say boo to me. I won't get over it. I'll need a counselor. (laughs) I believe in counseling, but it gets ridiculous. I mean, get a friend. Like Crocodile Dundee said, you know, he ain't got no mates. (laughs) Talk it out. I mean, get a life. I can take you to Africa and show you, you know, all of us. I mean, you know, for every story you have, I can show you one that's 20 times worse. You know, my, story, my childhood story is terrible. It's, it's bad. But my mother used to say this to me. She wasn't a believer. She said, she'd say, stop feeling sorry for yourself. There's always people who are worse off than you. That helped me. I mean, I, you know, I, there was, my father beat me until blood ran down my legs several times as a little boy. Hasn't affected me now, though. <laughs> affected me now. Hasn't changed. Hasn't hurt me. Can't. Can't hurt me now. I'm being funny, but come on, you know, get a life. I went through a bad divorce. Okay, that was yesterday. This is today. Get well. You need help. Go get help. But you know what? Don't spend the rest of your life getting counseling. I forgot what I was going to say. It's just amazing to me that people will do for money what they won't do for God. It's amazing to me that people will be totally dependent in the sense that they will go to work. They'll go to work at Walmart. They'll, do, they'll come to work when the guy says. They'll leave when he says. They'll do what he says or what she says. That, and, and, and they'll do all kinds of stuff for money. But they'll come to the church and their pastor says, you know what, um, 
could I get everyone in that third row to move to the front? And they'll sit there and say, he can't tell me what to do. I've literally had that happen. I was in church four years ago on a Sunday night. It was, it was, it was really bad weather and the church was only half full. And there were people scattered. And I, when I got up to preach, I said, could everybody move? And I went, went back to the row and I go, from this row forward, please. It would really help. About five people got up and about 75 people stayed there. I thought they didn't hear me. I went back again and I said, yeah, this is Bethel Church right in California. Best church in the world. I went back <laughs> and I said, I need you people right here. I need you to move forward, please. Would you mind doing that? It would really help me. Um, when you're preaching to scattered flock, it's kind of like it doesn't feel right. About three more people moved up. This anger, and I believe it was from the Lord, I believe righteous anger came over me, and I said, I will not preach to people who are not submitted to me. Either you people leave that are from that row back, or you move up and do what I asked you to do, and I will wait. And there was a, there was a lady nursing a baby on the, on the back row. I said, ma'am, you have a reason to stay there. I totally understand. Please feel free to stay there. If there's somebody here that has to leave early, I totally understand. Everybody else move up, and don't tell me 75 people have to leave early. And I waited. I waited 10 minutes. You know that felt like an hour. There was just a few people who stayed. Some people got up and left, and I'm like, that's fine. There, there's, no sense, there's no sense listening to a word that's going to have no impact on you because you have no value for the speaker. And I waited, and I'm telling you, about five people stayed there. And I said to them, I just looked right at them and said, I will wait until you either move up or leave. And it matters to me not which. And they moved up. I said, thank you very much. I've never done that before in 30 years or after. But my point is this. It, it, I, think it was a, I think it was the Lord just showing me something. It's amazing to me that people will go to work on time, do what their boss tells them every second of that of that eight-hour day, and they won't move up for spiritual leadership. In the name of, well, I was a part of the shepherding movement. Well, have you ever worked for someone who abused you? Did you still go back to work, or did you starve to death? I mean, come on. I've been, I've been at jobs where people abused me. It didn't make me not go to work. It just made me not want to work for an idiot. How many are flowing with me at all? I understand that there are spiritual abuse in the church and, you know, Danny and I have worked through a lot of that with lots of churches. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not at all condoning that. I'm just like, come on, you know. It doesn't mean that you, have, that you live the rest of your life rebellious. Well, I had a bad father, so that's why I'm living with this woman. Oh, come on, you know, get a life. Well, bad stuff happens to good people and good people do bad stuff sometimes and you know it just stuff happens it's you know this is life this isn't a safe place this is called earth and god gave you the holy spirit and he called him the comforter you know why you need one you know i'm not angry or anything i'm just trying to i felt the holy spirit. i haven't talked like this for a while but I, I just feel like sometimes it's just like come on guys let's get a life you know you got a reason, fine. We all have reasons. You got a problem with someone, go talk to them. If they're idiots, find another church. Find someone you can submit to. But don't live an unsubmitted, rebellious, independent island life. It doesn't work. And for everybody, every pastor who will abuse you, there's 15 who would love the heck out of you. They would love hell right out of you. Daniel 7, we're moving, we're changing subjects again. Okay, ready? 
Daniel 7. Oh, it's late. What time will we start? Oh my goodness, I've been preaching for an hour and a half already. Sorry. Okay, we'll just do this. It will, it's going to take about at least 10 minutes. Okay, Daniel 7, ready? Verse 9. I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, the hair of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was ablaze with flames. <laughs> I love that scripture. It doesn't have anything to do with my teaching. I just like to read it. <laughs> its wheels were, fire, were burning fire, and a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. <laughs> That's so cool. Thousands upon, that's why I don't swim, though. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. Mirrors upon mirrors were standing before him. The courts that the books were open. Verse 11. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and giving to the burning fire. And everybody said, Hallelujah. Verse 12. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Now, here's where we're going. Verse 13. Everybody focus on that. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. Everybody say, the Son of Man was coming. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. Now listen to this. Verse 14. Everybody look down at it, so you know I'm telling you the truth. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Everybody say, dominion, dominion. Glory, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Now, verse 15, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached the one who was standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of this. Now, what's happening? Daniel's got an angel. If you read the whole book of Daniel, you'll, you'll see that Daniel's got an angel. He's got, he's got two or three angels, actually. I'm not clear about this. I'm not trying to make a doctrine out of it. But he definitely has an angel who, tell, who, who, who um, interprets dreams for him. You'll notice that and visions several times throughout the Bible, throughout the book of Daniel. So he, turn, he goes, I don't know what this means. He says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. The visions kept alarming me. I approached one of those who was standing by, and I, I began asking him what the exact meaning of this was. He told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Verse 17, these great beasts, which we didn't read that part, we're four number, are four kings of the earth. Verse 18, listen to this. But the saints of the highest one will receive a kingdom. Everybody say, receive a kingdom. Receive and possess the kingdom. Everybody say, possess the kingdom. Everybody say, forever. forever. For, all ages For all ages to come. Okay, now, you didn't get the privilege of reading the whole vision, which started in verse 1 of chapter 7, but I want to tell you that there's nothing in the vision that says anything about saints receiving a kingdom. The only part of the vision that says anything about saints receiving the vision, uh, kingdom is in chapter, I mean, verse 13, where it says, The Son of Man came, and to him was given commit dominion, glory, and a kingdom. I want to propose to you that the Son of Man is intentionally not called the Son of God because he's not talking about Jesus himself, but he's talking about the body of Christ. And he says the body of Christ is coming into a time where they'll receive uh, dominion, listen to this, dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now let's go on. Verse uh, 17, I, I mean, sorry, verse 19 talks about the beast. 20, same thing. Verse 21, I kept looking 
and the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Everybody say, boo. Until. Now, everybody shout, until. Until the ancient of days came. Now this is important because this until divides an epic season. Selah. The until divides an epic season. Do you understand? The saints were being overpowered by the devil. Until. Okay, that word until is about to divide an epic season. We're about to see a change in the way that God's dealing with man in this until. Okay? So it's going to be important to know when the until happened. You can see why, right? Okay, so it says, until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed. Okay, so we know that the until has something to do with judgment. Until judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived, everybody say time arrived, when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Okay, so the until is described to us. He says that the devil is going to overrun the saints, overpower the saints, wear the saints out until there's a distinct epic change. When does that happen? Two things mark the epic change. The first one is, is that the ancient of days sat and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the second part of the until that marks the epic season is that the saints take possession of the kingdom. Okay, now that's really important because that until marks a different epic season, complete different epic season, where we go from the devil ruling to the saints ruling. And I'm going to show you how powerful the saints are supposed to rule after the until. Okay? Now, when did that until happen? I want to propose to you that that until happened when Jesus died on the cross, the judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And listen to this. And the saints received a kingdom. I want to tell you that Jesus never preached salvation. Look it up. He never preached salvation. He preached the kingdom, and he preached salvation as the entrance into the kingdom. He said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Colossians says we got transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. For, uh, I mean, at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, seek first the and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 147 times, Jesus and the apostles said, seek the kingdom. Preach the kingdom. The kingdom's at hand. The kingdom's just come near you. And the kingdom is within you. I want to propose to you that when Jesus died on the cross, that the saints received a kingdom. And judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And we received, listen to this, the kingdom, dominion, and glory. Jesus said, Father, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they might be one. You receive glory, Dominion, Jesus said, Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore you go. Ephesians chapter 2 says that Jesus was raised up and seated in heavenly places with Christ. And that, that we have been given all authority. Every name that's been named, both in this age and the one to come, have been put under our feet. I want to propose to you that Daniel saw, looked ahead, 400 and something years, and he said, I see a time when saints will receive dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And when they do, the devil will be disempowered. It doesn't say dead. It says he's disempowered, and the saints will begin to rule the world. Listen to this. It goes on. Verse 23. It's talking about beasts. Verse 24, ten horns. Verse 25. He will speak out against the Most High, talking about the devil personified in this Antichrist spirit. 
He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will attend to make alterations in times and in the law. Follow me. This is really important. I'm coming closer to the end than I was an hour ago. He will... Are you guys all right? I know this is really long. I am so ADD. For me to sit there this long would kill me, so... You have a half-hour seats, and you got a two-hour message. He will speak out against the Most High, wear down the saints of the highest one. Listen to this. He will intend to make alterations in times. Everybody say times. And in the law. Everybody say in the law. And they will be given to him for a time. Everybody say time. Times. Everybody say times. And a half time. But the court will sit for judgment. His dominion will be taken away. Notice that it doesn't say he, it doesn't say he will be destroyed. It says his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then, the sovereignty, sovereignty, dominion, the greatness of all the kingdoms, everybody say, all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. Did you get that? Okay, now, let me just talk to you about this for a second. He says that the devil will receive, he will, God will, the devil will apprehend the times, and he will take times, times, and a half time. I asked the Lord why those don't have dates by them. Like, why doesn't it say seven years, five years? You know, all through the book of Daniel it says 40 days, 30 days, 40 years. And the Lord said, because this particular uh, revelation is not rooted in a clock and a calendar, but in an epic season. Selah. In other words, God said, these times are not measured in a calendar, but they're measured in an epic season. Remember, I said to you, I defined an epic season for you. An epic season is a way that God, in which God deals with the particular people in a particular time, in a particular way. Do you get that? Okay, now let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying that, I'm going to use this as an example. Let's say the agricultural season, the industrial season, and the information season, okay? Let's say that, let's call those the agricultural age, the industrial age, and the information age, three epic seasons. Okay, now I understand that this isn't what Daniel saw. I understand. I'm using this as an example. Are you with me? Let's, and this is as an example. In the, in the agricultural age, God had a plan for the agricultural age. In that, epic, in that epic season, God had a plan. He had a way in which he wanted to be manifest. His, he wanted to manifest his glory in the agricultural age. And God began to put his plan into play. But, but somewhere in the epic season, the devil apprehended the plan, stole the plans of God, changed the, the law, and the word law there is the word instruction, and through changing the instruction, he altered the, he altered the purposes of God towards his purpose. Follow me? And then God goes, okay, let's try it again. So in the industrial age, that God has a plan. He has a plan for a people in a time zone. And, he ha- and, he's, and he's got a way that he's going to manifest his glory in the industrial season. But somewhere in there, the devil changes the instruction. He begins to instruct people differently. And through instruction, he steals the epic season from God, the purposes of God. And he steals them, apprehends the time, and changes them to meet his purposes. And then in the industrial age, 
God says, well, let's do it this way. And, the, and, and, God, and halfway through the epic season, the devil is beginning to alter through instruction. He's beginning to alter God's epic purposes for that season. And God goes, that's enough. And he comes in and he, and he takes away the authority of the devil. And he says, now the time arrived for the saints to receive dominion, glory, and a kingdom. He strips the power from the devil, and he gives it to the saints, and he says this, now the sovereignty, the dominion, and of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven has been given to you. Now you rule the new epic season. Are you with me? And I want you to notice that it says this. It says, all the kingdoms under the whole heaven have been given to the saints, to the highest ones. I want you to notice it doesn't say to the apostles. It doesn't say to the prophets. It doesn't say to, it says to the saints. That would include all of us. Are you with me? But he says all the kingdoms are the whole heaven. One day I was reading that, maybe a month ago. And I, and I said, Lord, this is odd. You didn't say all the kingdoms on the earth. You said all the kingdoms are the whole heaven. And the Lord said, that's right. And then the Lord said, I want you to go back to the original commissioning and tell me what you see in there. So I went back to the original commission of man, which is in Genesis 1, where God said, rule. And what did God say rule? He said, rule cattle, rule birds, rule fish, and rule creeping things that creep on the earth. And the Lord said, what do you see there? I said, well, I don't know how to rule a fish. Come, fish, come. <laughs> Sit, fish. Bring paper. Bring coin. How many of you know Jesus had authority over the fish? That's why they brought him a coin. Because Jesus understood something we didn't understand. But let me tell you one thing the Lord showed me. That the Lord wants us to have dominion over all the kingdoms under the whole heaven. He wants us to have dominion over the marine kingdom. He wants us to have a, a dominion over the mammals. He wants us to have dominion over the animals. He wants us to have dominion over the creeping things that creep on the earth. And the Lord showed me that the creeping things that creep on the earth are the biological kingdom. I don't know if you got that. And I had this revelation that, the, that we got saved through the blood. And the blood is the biological kingdom. We got saved from the most cellular point of life itself. We got saved from the cellular kingdom up. We got saved by the blood. And the blood is the biological kingdom redeemed. And the Lord asked me a question. He said, if I put you in charge of the biological kingdom and you're not ruling it, who is? I shared this at the leaders' meeting, but, the, but when in New Orleans, when, we, when police couldn't get into the neighborhoods for three days because of the storms, what happened? Chaos. Remember? There was looting and murdering, all kinds of stuff. Why? Because authority was removed for three days. Paul said it this way in the book of Acts. He, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure what chapter... But he said this, when I leave, ravaged wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, even among yourselves. Will men rise up and draw men after them? What happens in the absence of authority? False authority comes in and begins to ravage the flock. And the Lord showed me this. He said, if you've been commissioned to rule the biological kingdom and you're not ruling it, guess who is? Somebody who's not authorized. And the Lord said, the next epic season is going to be demonstrate it not through healing, but through divine health. 
the current word of God that's coming soon to a neighborhood near you isn't how to heal the sick, but how to live in divine health because the Lord's going to show us how to rule the biological kingdom so that sickness is driven from our land. I don't know if you got that, but that's a good word right there. The Lord said, listen to this, 27th verse, then, then sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. That's a good word. You go, that's the millennium. No, I'm sorry, it's not the millennium. It doesn't say in the thousand year reign anywhere in there. It says that you received it after the ancient of days took his seat and the, and the kingdom was given to the saints of the highest one. That happened 2,000 years ago. Well, how come we're not ruling? Because nobody believed it. That's the truth. I want to read you this and we'll be done. I, I, I just um, finished a book called Developing a Supernatural Lifestyle, and I want to read you a, first, a couple of pages of the, of the first chapter. Every so often in the course of history, there are inv- individuals born who defy common reason and statistical explanation. These are the great ones who break the tether of their generational expectations and rise, rise to the high call that seems to echo from somewhere beyond the grave. The prophets of old peered into the future and spoke of these violent ones who had forced their way into the kingdom, take hold of, of heaven, and pull it down to earth. These reigning saints refused to have the standard of their exploits be a mere reflection of the past, but instead break their gravitational barriers of naysayer and doubters, journeying far beyond the boundaries of reason into places where no one has ever gone before. Ultimately, they capture the prize of the upward call of God that lies in Christ Jesus. These are God's history makers, the Lord's chosen ones, His mighty men, His holy nation. Many of us can fill the vacuum of this vortex enlisting our hearts into this divine destiny. We find our inner man longing, stirring, and burning for the great adventure. Live or die, we must press through the walls of mediocrity and find the promised land of our souls. We live with a passion to be numbered among those who, are, who gain fame in the halls of heaven and are feared among the prison guards of hell. If we are going to walk as God's ruling royalty, it's incumbent upon us to pray unceasingly, give sacrificially, dream unreasonably, serve wholeheartedly, love unashamedly, walk innocently, believe undoubtedly, and live powerfully. These are the qualities of the bride of Christ in all her glory. We are called to be the most creative force on the face of the earth. Therefore, we must not allow ourselves to become known for our boxes that is famous for what we don't do because of our righteous constrictions. Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and Benjamin Franklin all had certain moral values that, that restrained their behavior, but they were famous for what they did, not for what they didn't do. When we allow ourselves to be defined by what we don't do, we stymie the creative force of God, uh, the creative force God intends to be, God for us God intends for us to be on the earth and we reduce ourselves to rent-a-cops guarding a box that God vacated 2,000 years ago. The truth is, if we don't take our rightful place in the earth, we will relegate sinners, void of the mind of Christ, barred from the wisdom of the ages, wandering in utter darkness, to, be, to being the brightest minds of our time. If the brightest light in our world belongs to those locked in darkness, how great will the darkness in our world be? Something is fundamentally wrong with this picture, but this is our brain on religion. Religion is like kryptonite to Superman. Religion can conform the most righteous reigning saints into mindless zombies. 
that, re- that repeat with some, someone else's convictions they don't even understand themselves. I'm, I'm convinced that religion is the father of genetic cloning. Religion invented genetic cloning long before the world ever thought of it. Religion has a way of sucking the most powerful people on the planet into a spiritual look-alike contest and calling it discipleship. True discipleship is meant to empower people to be transformed into the image of their creator, but religion redefines the terms, conforming people into relics of their leaders. Religion takes mighty men of God and makes them artifacts in a museum. (laughs) Me. We are called to disciple the nations of the world. Discipling means submerging them in God, not religion, and teaching them all that I commanded you. Teaching nations how to think is a transformation catalyst to changing cultures. But as long as Christians aren't valued in society, they will have no influence on the world. You only have as much influence in people's lives as they have value for you. Anytime you try to have more influence in someone's life than they have value for you, you will manipulate them. It's imperative that we become kings who understand the ways of royalty the ways royal people influence authority. Otherwise, we will reduce ourselves to social begging, hoping that the big, big, powerful people feel compassion for us and help our cause. This poisonous poverty reduces the Christian message down to a cry for help instead of a call for leadership. We don't need nations to change for our sake. We have a living, abiding, unshakable kingdom that dwells within us and prospers under all circumstances. We need the nations to change for the sake of those still lost in darkness. They need the culture around them to create a safe environment for them until they get the kingdom within them. This cultural begging has relegated the kingdom of God to a subculture. God never intended Christianity to be a subculture. Subcultures are those cultures that are subservient to a more powerful culture. The world's commentary on the first century church reflects the true influence we are meant to have in society. They proclaim, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. We are called to turn the world around and set it back on its feet again. We are to be a counterculture until the mindsets of the, of the nations begin to take on the attitudes of the kingdom. Christians are not subservient to the world because God has assigned us the highest level of authority that exists on this planet. When Christians lose their desire and courage to confront the evils of our day honorably, we begin to be influenced, they begin to be influenced by lying principalities that are also commissioned to disciple nations, but with an evil antichrist agenda. These demonic force, forces work to dethrone the Prince of Peace, who is the rightful prince of the principles that makes societies prosper and enthrone the prince of darkness. Consequently, the enabling principles of a culture become demonically inspired instead of kingdom inspirited. These dark princes work to establish evil thinking that leads to destructive behaviors. But when Jesus rules, he enables the principles of the kingdom to transform the cultures through the mind of Christ. In other words, people in the nation, uh, people in in a nation governed by the kingdom, begin to think like God. (laughs) Anyway, you get the idea. It's the truth. And not only will the truth set you free, but the truth will cause you to reign. It's reigning. This is the word of the Lord. Selah.